Welcome to the Financial MD Show. This is the only podcast designed specifically for residents and young physicians to help you become educated on financial planning for physicians and avoid many of the common financial mistakes doctors make. Your hosts, John and Trevor, explore a different topic with each episode. John Salitro is a financial planner and certified financial education instructor. He's been working with young physicians for the better part of a decade and lectures to graduate medical programs around the country. Dr. Trevor Smith is a board-certified ophthalmologist with a full-time practice, and he has learned the ins and outs firsthand, what it takes to make smart financial decisions as a young physician. And now, here's your hosts, John and Trevor. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the 10th episode of the Financial MD Show. This is the number one stop for getting direct tips, education, knowledge on how to make smart personal financial decisions as a resident. So thanks for joining us. Today, we're excited because we're going to give you a twist on a very commonly recommended topic, that being 401ks. And specifically, when is it not a good idea to utilize your 401k at work? We're going to talk a little bit about the history of 401ks, how they came about. Uh, Trevor's going to go a little bit into the Roth concept, when that makes sense, versus a pre-tax contribution to a Roth. And then we're going to talk about some things to watch out for. What are the biggest drags on investment returns in a 401k or any other account for that matter? So make sure you're taking notes. Rewind if you have to. Uh, We'll be sure to post plenty of resources in the show notes afterwards, but this is going to be a good one to give you some practical tips on when this makes sense and when it doesn't. Okay, so today we are talking about when it's not a good idea to use a 401k. And we'll make that a general statement so that um, people don't have to you know, so we can apply it to a lot of situations and it's not so specific as we do in the advice world, especially when we're making a podcast, <laughs> full disclosure, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. I say it at the end, but this is not necessarily financial advice. You got a bunch of, or a couple of financial nerds talking about different topics that pertain to doctors and that's all we're doing today. Mm-hmm. But um, we're going to keep it fairly general and this helps us to uh, get a lot of traction out of this. 45 to 50 minutes. So um, so let's talk about a 401k a little bit first because two things. Most people, A, don't know what that is. They know it has something to do with employee benefits and, mm-hmm. and or they know it's in a retirement plan at an employer, but they. I get this question all the time. What's the difference between a 401k and a 403b? And it's like, mm-hmm. well, Nothing for all intents and purposes for our situation here, for you as the investor, nothing. It's a little different for the, uh, what they call the plan sponsor, which is a fancy name for the employer. Um, but in general, let's talk about what a 401k is or a 403b. Uh, mm-hmm. It is, it was created back in the 70s um, with the ERISA, so the Employee Retirement Income Security Act or something like that. Um, This created a lot of rules around employee benefits and especially rules around retirement. Back in the day, there was 
pensions. For years and years, you got a pension, which meant that the company would put away money for all their employees, uh, typically into one big pool. And they had a record keeper that would kind of see how many credits different people had accumulated based on years of service and then how much they made. And then when they retired, typically it was you put in so many years, you can retire and you'll have this much of your salary in retirement. Could be 50%, 60, you know, whatever. Half of what you're making before, they'll they'll keep paying you even after you're not working. Exactly. And the railroads were big on that, right? That was one of the big pensioners of the 20th century in the 1900s was oh crazy pension. was the railroads. They they're known for having the craziest, best pensions, really paying people out a lot, similar to what they were making before or more. Mm-hmm. Um, after time, and they they invested your money for you within the company. Um. And if they lost money or they went out of business, you were pretty screwed. Right. So that was kind of, that really hurt a lot of people. I think that's kind of one of the ways it originated, right? Adding some other options. Right, exactly. When there started to be some economic issues back then, and people began to realize, okay, the market goes up and down, economy goes up and down. I can't necessarily count on the fact that when I want to retire, that my company is going to be solvent or in business still. Um, right. because we began to see some of that, you know, the great depression and different things. And so, um, automakers were big on this. Um, military was big on this, a lot of municipalities, all that kind of stuff. So it was much more common back in the day. And you'd hear about people getting the military, get their 25 years and out, you know, so they could start at 25, retire at 50 and have a full pension. Mm-hmm. And then, go out and get a job somewhere else and be double dipping basically mm-hmm. crazy. So, um, and people were, were living to like 70. Well, and that's why it worked. 65, 70. And yeah. Mm-hmm. So, and there were those, that plan would work. That worked for a while. Same with social yeah. security. And we'll talk about this one episode, mm-hmm. I'm sure. But when social security was created with the new deal in the late forties, early fifties, um, FDR created this to, again same kind of thing he's like okay uh these companies are going out of business during the great depression and during this and that and government needs to step in and take care of them so we're going to create a sort of retirement supplement um and social security administration has said this from day one it was never designed to be your main source of retirement income although it a lot of people it is unfortunately But when they started this whole process of how much social security taxes would be and what they would take out of your paycheck and the actuarial tables to say, okay, people are going to retire here. Typically they're going to live till this long. If that stays the case, then this formula should work. Well, what ended up happening between now and the fifties is people started living longer and no one predicted that. And why you hear about social security going bankrupt or, you know, just not in good financial standings because social security had all these promises to pay the retirees and they didn't have the money when people started living longer. So people are still getting paid. Social Security is working for now. But if you look at your Social Security statement, whatever age you're at, you can go to ssa.gov and you can check it out and you can see the number percentage wise that they assume, like they'll tell you in the year 2035 or whatever it is, plan on these benefits being about 75% of what we state in this statement. I'm not joking. So they already know it's going to be, it's underfunded and it's going to have to be cut uh, at some point. So 
about, you know, shortly after that, they said, okay, it's not going to be just Social Security. A lot of companies now in the 60s and 70s, due to the economy, were cutting their pension programs entirely. And so, again, government says we need to step in and help out with this. And they created the ERISA Act and 401ks. What it did was it created a rule around it didn't force or mandate employers to provide one, although, interesting fact, Australia does require all employers to have a 401k type of retirement plan. Hmm. Um, what happened with a 401k in the U.S. is it created a framework around that when an employer had one and they made it so that like a business owner wanted to get one because it allowed them to put away a lot of money pre-tax. But if they got one, there were what they called safe harbor rules. And so they had to put certain matches and rules and eligibility and all these different vesting things in there so that employers weren't setting up these things to benefit themselves and kind of screwing over the employees or just not letting the employees contribute. Um, so that's the rule. It was an IRS rule 401k is, you know, where that rule is found. That's why it's called what it is. Mm-hmm. And it's an investment account that your employer sets up that you have the ability to put money into. They may or may not put a match. They may or may not do a profit sharing discretionary contribution, they call it. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a lot of rules around it for compliance and just to make it fair. But um, that's what it is. It started out pre-tax because most people assumed if tax rates stay the same, I'm going to make less in retirement. So I'm going to, I'd rather pay the taxes on this money in retirement because I'll be in a lower tax bracket than pay it now. And so they started out in a traditional 401k to be pre-tax. And then somewhere in the uh, mid, late nineties, they came out with a Roth 401k. And most of you guys, if you've been listening for any period of time, you know what a Roth is, but, uh, Trevor, why don't you explain the pros, cons of a Roth and give us your thoughts on just the Roth concept. Sure, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, the retirement funds that are sponsored by your employer usually oftentimes come with the perk of uh, if you contribute a certain percentage or in some cases, even if you don't, the company will match that amount that you put in. And that percentage is a percent of your salary. So if you make $100,000 and they'll put in 4% match, then if you put in $4,000, they'll put in $4,000. Magically, you have $8,000. And that match that they give you, uh, you don't get taxed on as part of your um, salary. So you don't, you know, it's free free money. If you put in the money and they match it, you, you have free money. If, if you don't put it in, you get nothing. So you, you lose uh, an opportunity at, at free money. So that's why people talk about matches at work being like a huge perk. It's, it's like it's free money you don't have to pay taxes on. You get to use in retirement. Yep. Um, Roths are great. Roth accounts uh, are are a way of contributing to any type of retirement account that has the name Roth in front of it. You can kind of Roth a lot of different things. It's sort of like <laughs> version 2.0 of, of yeah. whatever you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. And the and the Roth <laughs> version is uh, post tax money. So you you pay your taxes on your on your income, and they kind of that's your withholding. So. When let's say you make ten thousand dollars a month, like many physicians easily make ten thousand a month, yeah, and they're taxed a twenty five percent tax bracket. Usually, the withholding is that the business will just pay that 
to the IRS as you go throughout the year. So you don't have to worry about it on tax day and have a huge bill. Mm -hmm. And if you really waited too long, they can even give you a, a little fine for, for waiting and holding it throughout the year. Anyway, so 10 grand a month, 25% tax bracket, which I guess it would be 25 or 30, but um, they'll take that out. So they took out 2,500 for you take home 7,500. <clears throat> if you put that money into a retirement account, you've already paid taxes on it. So that goes into a Roth account. The the cool parts about the Roth are that then later, both of them, sorry, both of them mm -hmm. grow without you having to pay taxes. So you're yep. buying your they Tesla stock and it skyrockets. Mm -hmm. Yeah, tax deferred. <clears throat> yeah. So, and they're both really tax deferred, but yep. really the Roth is tax free. Like you don't have to pay taxes on the Roth because you pay it up front. You don't have to pay it on the growth. You yep. don't have to pay it when you take it out. With the non-Roth accounts, it's yeah, it's really truly the tax deferred account. So you're you're able to put that money in straight from your paycheck. That ten thousand that before you take it home, and the government takes a piece of it, you can take from that amount and put it straight in. So that's those are the non-Roth accounts. Those are the pre-tax accounts. And depending on if it's the right kind of account, um, then you don't have to pay taxes on that now but you will have to pay on it later. So it'll grow and you don't have to pay like you buy and sell Tesla a few times throughout the years and it goes 10 times its growth. And then you sell it and you just hold a little bit in dollars in your retirement account and you buy some well, Tesla. Maybe it falls yeah, down Yeah, let's again. explain capital gains briefly, um, yeah. which we can hold for another episode. But in general, when you buy and sell stocks, if you've got a gain in that stock, which is the, the hope, yeah. Um, the downside of having a gain is when you go to sell that stock, you have a capital gains tax. And wherever you're holding that stock, if it's E-Trade or TD Ameritrade or whatever, um, they'll send you a 1099 for whatever your capital gains was. And then when you do your taxes, you have to mark mm -hmm. that as income. And capital gains have their own tax brackets. Um, so the benefit, yeah. one of the other benefits of a 401k or an IRA, either regular or Roth, is that as you're buying and selling which maybe you are, or maybe the fund that you're invested in is buying and selling over the years. You don't have to worry about capital gains or income taxes in that account until you go to take the money out in retirement. So that's what tax deferred means, that no matter what's happening inside that yeah. account, you don't have to worry about capital gains and 1099s and all that stuff. Yeah, so for anyone who hasn't really done any investing, which I don't know how many people that'll be listening, but you know, you make your money you do your work you work nine to five let's say you get paid you you pay taxes on the money that you worked for so let's say again 10 10 grand a month 25 percent tax bracket they'll take 2500 dollars every month just for the privilege of you working in the united states and then then you take that money you already paid taxes on so now you have 7500 left now you put it in tesla and let's say great scenario it goes up and it doubles or something. Well, then yep. you get to pay taxes on that too. You took all the risk and the government gets to take a chunk every time you make money. Yep. So it's it's a, when you first are learning about stocks, I think that kind of surprises some people. Maybe it doesn't, maybe they're just like, oh, of course, yeah, I love paying 25% taxes on my money that I risked that could have gone to zero. But mm -hmm. uh, most people don't like that. And so when you can avoid paying taxes, you're already risking your hard-earned money. If you can avoid it, that's everyone wants to do that. Okay. So 
The other thing is if you double your money and then you sell, well, now you lost a quarter of the extra that you made. Yeah. Well, if you get to keep that quarter, now you've got an even bigger pile of money to put into the next stock or investment. And so that's why people talk about compound interest. When your growth is growing, yeah. the growth growth becomes more. So anytime you can keep more of your money, it's also why you should look for for uh, financial advisors to keep your accounts under management fees to a reasonable level because it's the same it's the same principle. If you got little bits draining off as you go along, yeah. then it can hurt your returns. And I mean, what's a bigger drain than selling a stock that's doing great and having to lose a quarter of what you made off of it? Yeah. I mean, when you're talking about accounts under management at 1%, so you want to like, I'll go on a little rant here, but you know, some people will, they're like, I don't want to have an, you know, a financial advisor. I'm just going to trade on Robinhood. Like, yeah, that's a hor that's a horrible idea and for for a lot of reasons but and you can do it i mean i i've traded on there but like if you're buying and selling stocks and you're paying and you're selling it within a year so you're really almost like day trading you're paying at least 25% capital gains and if you have a higher tax bracket more and yeah. you're erasing that much value every time you buy and sell something if you made a game so it can go down too and then you just lose money Mm -hmm. but if you work with a financial advisor, they can help you frame your accounts and the money that you take home to figure out how you can pay less taxes on the money from your boss to your checking account, from your trading account within the trading account. And then there's, there's IRS maximums of how much can go and what throughout the year. Yeah. And that changes from year to year. So um, when you're talking about, you know, someone who makes 10 grand a month and then, I've beaten this to death, but then the government takes 25%. That's $2,500 $2, every month. And a financial advisor's typical fees, the national average is $2,300 for an annual fee. Okay. So, you know, every single month you're paying, if you're making 10 grand, you're paying the equivalent of an entire year's financial advising fee to <laughs> the U.S. government. And then you're trading in Robinhood and, and if you're doing well, you're giving them even more with the money that you got on the back end of that. Anyways, I'm just framing the the thought of, you know, people are, people hesitate to get financial advisors and uh, the medical community really puts a lot of skepticism in our mind about financial advisors. But I think you can make a pretty strong argument that having one is uh better than not having one in almost every case. Yeah, I think there's a balance between just blindly hiring a financial advisor mm -hmm. and having none because somebody online convinced you to do it yourself. I think there's a balance of getting mm -hmm. an advisor but doing your due diligence and educating yourself. Totally. Those resources that the White Coat Investors put together are, are pretty good for, for picking one. But not, I think, so I, I would go with having a financial plan is like number one and yeah. then how you do that would be like number two so having a plan beats not having a plan uh -huh. and having an advisor if they're reasonable fees and you know fairly knowledgeable can present to you their value yeah then it's better to have one than not to have one too so yeah yep. there's there's just so much for someone who's an uneducated investor um, 
you know, you're coming from the perspective of you, you know, financial advising and you know, nuance and all this stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But like, you know, some people were talking about the difference between Roth 401ks and, and 403bs and all this stuff. Like, yeah, that's the kind of thing that the earlier you paid like a one-time thing to just get the basics and put your money in the right places, you know, would be the better. Yeah. Um, and I think that is probably why uh, Jim Dolly recommends the, you know, fee-based or fee-only guys. Those are two different types. Because at least then you're you're kind of like maxing out your risk of getting somebody bad. Yeah. But you're at least moving the needle in terms of getting your money to work right away. Yeah. So yeah. anyways, just I just like to put it in perspective for how much doctors make, how little a fee only or a fee-based advisor just to try one once would be mm-hmm. so low risk. It's it's just a small percentage of what you make. You know, it's more yep. like one percent of your income, or oftentimes it's it's half or a third of a percent. One percent at the most, yeah. I've seen as far as a, on a when you're charging a retainer fee or a subscription base. Yeah, and ongoing. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, bottom line on that, taxes and fees are the biggest drain on investment performance. So just be aware of what you're paying in taxes and fees, mm-hmm. I would say. Um, all right. Totally. So we kind of went over what a finance or a 401k is um, and why it's beneficial tax-wise. Okay. It's typically pre-tax or tax deductible now, and then it's tax deferred over the years. So you're, you're kind of kicking the can down the road and not paying any taxes until you go to retire, which can be a good thing or a bad thing. Um I personally believe tax brackets are going to go up over the next 10, 20 years plus. So if you're going to retire anytime after that, you face the potential that, you know, and you're a good saver, you face the potential that you're going to be in a higher tax bracket in retirement, maybe. So that's where the Roth comes into play. Take the tax hit now and then never pay taxes on that money or the growth again. Um, But a lot of times we just do a balanced approach of, some in the mm-hmm. traditional pre-tax side, some in the Roth, and kind of try to hedge our bets a little bit that way. Um, so as Trevor was yeah. saying, there's a match. Uh, a lot of times at employers, a match means they don't put any money in unless you put money in. Um, a defined contribution means they'll put money in even if you don't put money in, which happens. So um, at the end of the day, guys, if you have a 401k or a 403b, Get your employee benefits handbook and summary and just see, be aware, educate yourself on what they offer and make sure you're taking full advantage of it. Because if you're not putting in the full amount to get the full match, a lot of times, um, for example, you've got to put in 6% and they'll put in 4% or you put in 10 and they put in 5 or whatever the case might be. If you're not doing that full 6% to get the full 4% match, then you're, you're leaving money on the table. So that's... I think that's generally good advice to no matter who you're talking to. Um, but today we just wanted to touch on now that you know what a 401k is. Oh, and to add a little bit to people ask what's a 401k invested in? Well, the answer to that mm-hmm. is whatever you want within reason. So in a 401k, they give you a list of let's say 40 or 50 different funds or investment options inside there and you can pick. And so it's not like, the employer invested for you, you still pick what it's invested in. And that's a, you know, yeah. And off, off, stuff. yeah. 
sorry. Yeah, and oftentimes there is a default. Um, 401ks tend to be automatically invested in something. Um, if you open your own accounts, like a lot of people use Vanguard, yep. it's, it's a brokerage. So that just means they can open accounts um, for you and they have different types. So you can do all sorts of retirement plans. Those tend to not automatically, and I don't actually, if you open it yourself, it's not automatically going to be invested in something. Probably so not, yeah. if you, if you, want to max out a Roth IRA and you're a resident, you can open one up for super cheap at Vanguard. And then you put in your $6,000 and you just transfer it over. And then it sits in that account. And if you are one of those people with a very sad story, three, four, five years later, when you graduate from residency <laughs> and you've done this every year, you look and see, Hey, how come this isn't making any money? Yeah, well, and it's because you have to pick a fund in that account to invest in so when you send your money over it doesn't just start being invested and making you know magical returns you have to you have to choose where you want to put it and they have like you know a walkthrough they they will will prompt you to try to choose some sort of they like their target date fund yeah so it sure. naturally changes from higher risk to lower risk as you approach retirement but um it is great like every investment book you read will have like that funny story where they're like Hey, uh, please, please, please double check that when you do all this amazing hard work of investing or automatically sending money over to an investment account, make sure it gets invested and it doesn't just sit in there like a checking account earning 0% interest. Like yep. that's a bummer. And it does yep. happen to people. So I like to bring that up. Very good point. Yeah. Hopefully wherever you're starting your IRA or whatever, it is uh a good app that kind of makes it dummy proof a little bit and mm-hmm. make sure that you can't actually set up the account unless you pick an investment in there. And um, for most of you listening, good old S and P 500 index funds, always a safe bet for the most part. Um, well, let's answer the question that we got you to clickbait this um, podcast episode and get to called when is it not a good idea to do a 401k? Um, I'll give you a couple things. Number one, if you have done your budget and you've getting through the cash flow step of our resident roadmap and you figured out now you're in step two and um, during step one, you figured out you have no surplus or a negative surplus. Yeah, probably not ready to invest in a 401k yet. Um, you need to cut some things, get your budget figured out, um, either make more money or spend less. And there's a lot of ways in previous episodes we've talked about how to do that. Um, but if you're good there, you've got a little surplus. Step two is safety net. You realize I don't have an emergency fund or enough of an emergency fund. Uh, I would say maybe not the right time to prioritize a 401k. You've got to, with gazelle-like intensity, as Dave Ramsey says, get that emergency fund saved up and then, uh, then I think you can probably look at investing in the 401k. Um, Especially if there's a match, you know, now's the time to start thinking about that. I would even say, I don't usually recommend you wait until your credit cards get paid off. I think you can potentially miss out on a lot of growth in the stock market if you do that and just, you know, put a good plan together, pay off your credit cards, but don't necessarily skip the 401k if there's, especially if there's a match in there. So, if I'm talking to residents, which a lot of you guys are, it's not very common 
right, Trevor, to see matches in a 401k in residency? It depends. Uh, I know University of Michigan had one um, when I was at Beaumont Health in Royal Oak. Mm-hmm. We kind of, I, I was for a year, I was the president of the resident fellow council and I really wanted to kind of move the needle on this, but I was, uh, I was not able to do that. <laughs> I guess I'll just say it like that. <laughs> uh, so we looked at competitive other fellowships in the area or not fellowships, sorry, residencies um, that had great benefits. Like, and we basically were just told like the money is just not there. And um, that's not uncommon. And I don't know if it's there or not. I mean, I'm not looking at the book, so Mm -hmm. probably isn't, you know, Uh, hospitals, you know, they have their ways of running things. And, um, but there's a house officers association. If you have like, uh, and then some some hospitals um, uh, actually have unions for the residents. And I know U of M does. Yeah, they they call it. They have a way around because unions are kind of like frowned upon yep. for residents. But yeah, it's called a house officers association um, or yep. an HOA. And Western in Chicago has one. Yeah, so those those places do tend to have uh, better benefits, and then some of them have matching. So. Um, I know people that have graduated with you know, decent, especially if they're like general surgery for like seven years, like decent size matches and retirement mm-hmm. funds kind of already giving them some momentum. So when you're looking at residencies, definitely try to see if you can find one like that. It's not inconsequential, mm-hmm. but yeah, usually not. Um, it's fine. It's, it's a, it sucks. Cause it's like literally free money. Your friends are getting They're They're making like five, 10 grand more than you doing the same thing. Yeah. But you know, you you'd be fine. You yeah. make money. No, it's a it's a perk if you get it. Great. If not, no big deal. Um, you know, for the for the credit card scenario, <clears throat> let's say you're a resident, you've got four grand in, in credit card debt. It's going to grow pretty fast, right? Because these are at like eighteen to twenty eight percent. Yeah. Every you know compounded that's an annual rate, so it's not like it goes up a third every month. That's right. annual, but uh, yeah, if you can um. Can, with the 401ks and with matching, you can have that money automatically taken out of your uh, check ahead of time. So yep. you can't touch it. That's yeah. a great way to do it. I mean, you could even just try that for a few months and be like, Hey, am I going, am I starving now that I'm contributing, you know, yeah. an extra couple hundred, even 200, $300 per month. Your lifestyle will probably just adjust. It does. Um, yeah. And you will, you will get, let's say if it's four, I guess well, that'd be a hundred grand. So you might get, let's say you're making 50 grand and it's a, a 4% match. So then you're going to put in two grand yourself and then the hospital's going to put in $2,000. That's two, it's a free $2,000 bonus. You wouldn't have gotten, you yeah. can't spend it. Yeah. It's in your retirement account. But if your credit card debt is like two grand and you just automatically started saving two grand, you didn't spend the credit card debt. Well, you ended up making an extra $2,000. So, mm-hmm. you know, whatever the, the amount that you incurred in interest on your credit card, it's going to be less than $2,000 over a year. Yeah. I mean, you'd have to have an enormous credit card debt to not have that be the smart move. Yeah. So it's sort of like which, which one wins in the very short one year race. Um, and if you have matching, it's pretty clear what you're going to get. So you can just simply calculate. Yeah. That's like a hundred percent rate of return. If you have a match, right. If it's dollar for dollar match. Yeah. Like 100%. You can't, you can't take that money, you know, 
post-tax and put that in your checking account, transfer it to Robinhood and you can't, you, you won't be able to beat a hundred percent return. I mean, that's a hilarious effort mm -hmm. in a year. You could get lucky. You could also go, you know, play roulette um, and yeah, buy maybe win. Yeah. You buy large, but it's like, it's definitely similar. It's, it's extra, it's exceedingly unlikely. And the other one is a literal guarantee. So yeah. And that's, that's why people talk about matches a lot because it's one of the most no brainer things you can possibly do. It's just yeah. free money. And yet, you know, smart people, doctors, residents, attendings, even they don't do it. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, what do you think, Trevor? Any times when it's not a good idea to utilize a 401k? I think, like you said, if you don't have the money, yeah. um, other times, if you think you have a better investment or you have a personal, this is the plan thing. And I'm, again, I'm not a financial advisor, so this is not financial advice. And the reason people say that is what they mean is this isn't advice for you as an individual. That's what financial advice is. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not even allowed to give financial advice because I'm not an advisor. But uh, when you hear people talking about things, it doesn't mean you should do it because it's an idea and a concept that doesn't apply specifically unless yeah. a trained professional tells you, but mm -hmm. um, I got off track there. What was I saying? Uh, when it's not a good time to use a 401k or put money in 401k. If you have a better investment outside of the 401k. Oh yeah. yeah. So uh, I was just getting to the idea that like, if you have a plan or you have like goals in your life and it's part of your financial plan to like buy a home or something. And yeah. Um, you know, you could say like, yeah, you know, the maximum for what I can put in my solo 401k is like $55,000 plus, mm -hmm. you know, this year, you know, I know it's a priority. You could say like, I'm going to put that as part of my down payment on a house or something. And yeah. we, you know, we just had our third kid and we really want to make it happen. And, um, I, I don't know. It, it's a, it's certainly a downside to not fund something because there's a limit every year so if you don't do it this year you will have lost the chance to build to, to stuff money in that account that that the government lets you not have to pay taxes on until later yeah so i'd say like it's gonna be quote unquote better numbers wise to always try to do it but there are scenarios in which you could do it and just be like you know i don't feel bad about that because that wasn't that doesn't line up with what i wanted to do this year with my money mm -hmm. and i think that's fine but if you said like, what will make you the most money and help you grow your wealth from the dollars that you've earned, yep. there's not a lot of circumstances in which it's not a good idea to max out your, any, your retirement accounts. I mean, but you know, not everybody is going to want to save 60 to 80% of their income. Some people only want to do 25% and then, you know, maybe that doesn't equal maxing out your, your 401k. So that would be another circumstance where people just, that's not their goal. It's not how they want to live their financial plan. They want to work till they're 70 mm -hmm. and they don't, they don't mind. So yeah, there's, there's those people too. Yeah. Great. You just want to know what I think like, if you're going to be a spendy kind of guy or gal, yeah, you want to at least just know, like I'm being a spendy guy and this is what it costs me. At least then you're just like, yeah. Yeah, like I was going to have 50 million in retirement at like 60 years old, but now I'm going to have like 8 million and I have to work an extra decade. 
Yeah. These are literal decisions people are making without making them. Yeah. And if you sit down with yourself and you just have that honest conversation for you and your partner and you're like, yeah, our family doesn't need $15 million. Yeah. I want to have 8 million. And even that I'm going to spend and you know, my kids can make their own money. It's just, everybody's different. Yeah. So that you can use that. Everybody's different argument to um, whitewash a lot of terrible decisions. So that's a slippery slope. Yeah. But I don't know. I'd say that's the best argument for not doing it. It's just like, Hey, I know what I'm doing. I'm making an informed decision and I'm giving up, you know, this opportunity, it's opportunity cost, but I acknowledge it and I'm going to spend this money some different way. Yeah. That's what we always say with our financial recommendations is that, Hey, Mm -hmm. our job is just to educate and show you the numbers on what you do. What happens if you make this decision versus this one and then let you make the decision. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to tell you what you should do. Um, I'm going to say, okay, if you buy this car, if you buy this house, if you pay off your loans in five years or 10 years or 15, here's the different scenarios of what happens depending which path you go down. And you may choose the path that I wouldn't recommend, but as long as you know what the consequences of that are, I'm okay with that. And that's kind of, you know, it's funny how many parallels there are with parenting, but I tell my kids that like, listen, buddy, what you do here, um, you know, my eight-year-old's like, do I have to do this? No, you don't have to. Uh, it's your choice, but I just want to inform you of what the consequences are of each decision. <laughs> and then the choice is up to you, buddy. And, uh, you know, I think it makes better adults. I think it makes better investors. Mm-hmm. I think uh, all the way around, it's a concept that we just can't get away from, that we have the control, we have the choice and free will, and the consequences are ours too. So that's the downside of free will, right? Is that there's consequences. Um, yeah, totally. totally. I'll take it. I'll take free will any, any day of the week still, even though it means I have to be informed. You know, we can talk about politics and voting of just being, you know, free versus, you know, taken care of and provided for. It's like, I'll take freedom every time. And it's, I think any American mm-hmm. would say that. Yeah, we definitely value that quite a bit. Sure. Back in 1776, we were willing to kill people for it. And, uh, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, uh, yeah, I was going to say too, I'm, I'm just thinking, um, as we were talking, <clears throat> I was trying to think like, what are the like interesting things about a 401k? Like assuming you kind of already know how they work and what they uh-huh. are. And... <clears throat> uh, you can take I'm a loan thinking... out against it. That's helpful sometimes. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you can take out up to half of the balance, up to $50,000 typically um, from a 401k and then pay it back over five years. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can pay it back longer if you use that money for a down payment on a house. Um, yep. so all sorts of pros to that. Yeah. Roth IRAs this last year, COVID COVID um, they, I think they allowed you to take a one-time disaster mm-hmm. uh, withdrawal as well, which is a similar duration i i don't know if it was spe- specific to roths but i think it was uh um, no, do regular areas was it not mm-hmm. it was regular <clears throat> yeah and you could take out and it was again a five-year loan um mm-hmm. to be repaid so those are those are interesting things these are like these are chances for you to uh do both basically have a contribution into you know each year there's a limit of how much you could put in and yeah. you could put that in uh 
every year and really you could potentially max max it out yeah and then you could also when you wanted to buy that house you could take it out of there it hurts mm -hmm. your growth but if you were going to spend that money anyways yeah. maybe it doesn't you yeah. know it's not those would have been maybe post-tax dollars or you wouldn't have gotten a match so it is good you know if you can make your priority getting more money uh that you control and can try to get it to grow as much as possible and then try to fit your lifestyle to that that's better yep. but if you want to expand from that a little bit you know a financial advisor and even accountants too can help you figure out what your flexibility might be to be a little more creative um and do those things without missing the boat on getting more money into your protected uh, retirement accounts. So yep. missing so, a year of retirement account contributions now yep. is like my biggest <laughs> enemy. Like I don't want to have a year where I didn't really, and I have never maximized myself because I'm still early attending and I'm paying off yep. loans and stuff. Yeah. I guess so that's maybe an example is if you're somebody who prioritizes not being in debt, you might not max it out. Yeah. Um, or for me, I had 1099 income, but it wasn't, uh, it, it wasn't above the maximum. So like mm -hmm. the nice part about 1099 income is you can, you can put away all of that <clears throat> into yeah. a, your own solo for a yes. which is just a owner operator, somebody who's just their only employee. Like I am my own employee. I can open up an account and I can contribute every dollar up to the annual maximum. Well, I, I didn't make that much in, in uh, consulting, but you know, I was able to have it all be a pre-tax contribution. So I was able to not have to pay as much taxes. So it doesn't matter how much it is. If you do a little side gig, you don't have to pay really taxes on it. Yeah. Exactly. Um, that's, you know, one of those really underrated, I keep trying to tell all my doctor friends that I'm like, do some moonlighting, like dollar for dollar, you can take that home versus 65% to 75% taking home mm -hmm. what you earn. So anyways, I was just trying to think of like, what are the, yeah. what are the like kind of extra things about it that make it cool or make it helpful or uh, that people might not have heard before? Yeah, um, usually they're lower cost than doing an IRA or different things like that. You can get some just from scale, you know, because there are more people involved. They can typically negotiate some lower fees and things. So not always, you know, get educated on what the fees are. But a lot of times if you're a big employer, they can be pretty cheap. Um, well, yeah. I think that's probably our time today. We're Excellent. Thanks, John. Once again, we went longer than we thought, which I think is a good thing, but <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's fun. I think it's good info. Today we had a lot of good information. I'm excited for getting this released and um, we'll put some notes of whatever we can in the show notes. And uh, yeah, so this is John Salitro and my buddy, Dr. Trevor Smith, and uh, just giving it to you straight, being real, being 100 <laughs> as the kids. Awesome. <laughs> I, I don't say that i'm that's proof that i'm older no you're old too yeah, we're both old. so all right cool awesome. well uh thanks john good night, sir i will talk to you soon 
Thanks for joining us for another Financial MD show. Be sure to head over to FinancialMD.com to get more in-depth resources on financial tips for physicians. And don't forget to join the Financial MD community group on Facebook, where physicians at all stages of their career gather to share tips and get ideas on achieving true financial success. We'll see you next time. The Financial MD Show is for informational purposes only and is not an offer to invest, is not financial, tax, or legal advice. Be sure to seek financial, legal, or tax professionals when making any financial decisions. Before investing, you should make sure that any investment strategy or investment meets your individual investment needs, goals, and objectives. Financial MD makes no claims or guarantees to individual investment performance. All investing involves the risk of loss as well as the potential for gain.